0: Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. It's true, two consecutive weeks we are managed to get the band back together. We're, yeah, we are actually reconvening the uh, morning zoo here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. <laughs> and uh, much not, earlier in the morning in California...
1: Is it... No, go ahead. Go ahead. I submit to your uh, voice. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I love the sound of that. I hear it so rarely.
1: The sheep knows the voice of the shepherd.
0: <laughs> oh et man! Et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, man. It, it is just it's it's good to be back figuratively into the same room. Of course, we're not literally all in the same room. I'm here in Franklin, Tennessee, with our. Executive producer and all round genius, uh, <laughs> Mark Whitlock. Hello, guys. Glad you're listening. And then uh, connecting with us via the worldwide interweb is uh, Aaron Porter from the West Coast, dodging the raindrops in San Luis Obispo.
1: Not hoping to dodge raindrops tomorrow.
0: Yeah. Okay. All right. And uh,
1: Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, yeah. You can't see it. Uh, Aaron, but I'm wearing a, a wrist brace, uh, trying to immobilize this wrist in my right hand so that the tendon in my elbow can heal. Mm. Yeah, it's always a little bad when a right-handed sex addict has a repetitive motion wrist injury. It's hard to. Uh... <laughs> I was not. I was <laughs> not going to take it there at all. But I thought it. Uh, I have to convince people that I actually got it typing. Truly, absolutely got it typing. Uh, But it's amazing. All this brace does that I'm wearing is it keeps me from bending my right wrist. And it's amazing how Hmm. much that handicaps me in just everyday tasks. Um, Was not even aware how much I use that wrist until... I couldn't use it anymore and so uh, it's, it's something as simple as uh you know whatever I'm doing in the kitchen really messes up my typing it makes life so difficult uh, but anyway that's that's my big news is i uh, I'm, I'm surviving uh, a deadly wrist i, I injury. got
1: i I gotta say that uh, i I have a similar deal uh, from holding a guitar pick. So that uh, I can't play fast, holding a guitar pick for more than a song before I have to. Uh, if I have to play two songs in a row with really fast strumming, yeah, and my uh, muscle between my thumb and finger just—it's uh, incredibly painful. So I had to wear a wrist band like that or a whatever, yeah, a brace like that. And I had the exact same thought, but it's pretty amazing. The amount of nuanced articulation that God built into every part of our body, yeah, right. You know, it's not just like just it's not just forward and backwards, it's forward and backwards and slightly around, and all of that makes picking up and handling things perfect. And I really had no idea until I lost that and could only do these gross movements with that, yeah, 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 appendage. It's it's a very cool thing. I, I recommend that everybody put a brace on some part of your body, and just go. Wow, God really did this well. Yeah, and I can see why robots still have not taken over the workforce <laughs> as we thought they would back in like the <laughs>
0: 1970s. Yeah, yeah, I do. This kind is of way look like, more complex. Yeah, I operate kind of like those animatronic uh, figures at Chuck E. Cheese these days, and it's hard. <laughs> it's something as simple as drinking coffee it's messed up yeah the way i handle a cup and i'm doing a lot more left-handed now just because yeah 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 i at least have some welcome of that to attention. the right side welcome was about to, say the to the right side in-
1: i'm a lefty are you a lefty mark I am a lefty.
2: we're oh. the only ones in our right mind
1: that is correct Well, Nate, as you use that left hand more, just you can expect uh, an influx of creativity and wonder as the right side of your brain just finally kicks in
0: gear. Okay. All right. Well, I'm I'm all down with that. That sounds great. (laughs) Might be able to get off the dime on the next book. Maybe that's the key. Ooh, <laughs> Maybe. So I'm excited. Not only are we
1: meeting for a second week in a row, but we are fulfilling the promise that we made at the end of last week where uh, we said we would talk more about uh, medicine and depression And that we would try to get Dr. Paul Corona in here, and he has agreed. So I am excited to jump into this interview, which we're about to make the call, and uh, talk about stuff that I think touches everybody's lives one way or the other. So hang on tight. We will be right back with Dr. Paul Corona on the phone talking about the wonderful way God made your brain and how it sometimes breaks. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Excited. We've got Dr. Paul Corona on the phone right now. Good morning, Dr. Corona.
3: Good morning, and how are you doing?
1: I am great. I was trying to think of how long it's been since I first met you. I want to say we're... Well, I know it was before the... Yeah, It's it's been close to a decade that I've been uh, talking with you and sending people down to Orange County. So this is fun. I can't believe we haven't done this before. (laughs) So for our listeners' sake, uh, I think this is important because today we're talking about uh, medicine uh, for dealing with depression, uh, the the different types of medicines. But I I think it's unique that you did not get into this as a psychiatrist, but you were a a family practice MD and did that for a number of years before kind of changing gears. Can you give us us that story a little bit because that's unique to you, I think?
3: In my practice started in 1992 moved down to Orange County in 93 um and i and I, I loved family medicine but i was kind of always interested in depression and treatment of anxiety and things like that during training but i just didn't think i want to do it full time um, and then you know some new antidepressants started coming out in the 90s that were really exciting and i started really understanding it's kind of a deeper sense uh what depression and anxiety really are um, and so I started getting so much experience during the 1990s uh, with different antidepressants and learning how to combine them together. Um, and by about 2000, when I just made the decision because I was getting so busy, getting a lot of referrals, I just decided I had to, do, I had to pick, a, pick a course, but I just couldn't do both anymore. I was getting way too busy. So I just decided to give up primary care, family practice, uh, and then just delved into it full time for about you now, about mm. 16 years or so.
0: All right. Okay okay so, so you're a real doctor then uh, you didn't get your, yeah. <laughs> you didn't get your diploma the difference
3: by... the difference I think is psychiatrists well psychiatrists in my view often they're not they're not the greatest greatest communicators um, mm-hmm. they also don't really have a very good training on the physical body which is where you know what was different about my practice is that I really was focusing on the physical uh, body um, whereas Saka and so I was really starting to recognize how pain and stress we call somatic symptoms like headaches, neck and back pain, stomach problems, you know, joint pain. How all these things were related to stress and to mood. And so that's really what kind of drew me into it is once new medications came out that were working on different neurochemicals and it was actually not only helping mood, it was also helping people's pain. Mm-hmm. That's, what really, that's what really got really light bulb went off in my head. Like, okay, something big is going on here because how come I'm not hearing about this and psychiatrists aren't talking about this? So that's why my practice is a bit different, because I kind of learned it from a different angle, and a different—from the body to the brain instead of the brain, and then forgetting about
1: the body. So there's this a, a, weird, a weird thing in the church, and, and I want to I point out the oddness of it. Um, you've got two veins of Christianity, one that is, is all about miraculous healing— and one that gets more like, well, no, we're, we're just intellectual Christians and it's, you know, the Bible is the answer to everything and we don't do this miracle stuff. Okay, uh, the non-miracle folks get really upset with trying to have uh, this Acts, uh, Book of Acts kind of uh, interaction with God. But then when somebody has an issue that stems from the brain, which, which is a part of our physical body, All of a sudden, the answer is spiritual. They need to pray more. They're not trusting God enough. This is a faith issue. So they're all of a sudden demanding spiritual and miraculous healing for this one part of the body that is physical. So how do you deal with—because our audience, I know, have had conversations or felt ashamed to seek help— when the problem is unseen and stemming from their brain. So, what do you say to them? How do you explain well, it?
3: Well, I try to explain that, you know, when people say, well, is it a real problem or is it just some mental thing? And I go, and I say, wait a minute, stop right there. What do you mean, mental thing? Well, you know what I mean. I, is it something you can fix here or is it just something I have to go to a psychologist for or my pastor about? And so, people, I say, well, what does mental mean? Uh, what organ are you talking about? The brain? I go, yeah, it's a pretty vital organ, I would say, wouldn't you? Um, that and the heart probably are the two most vital and so somehow people separate the brain from the body and think it's some kind of a you know something different and, and one of the reasons is we not we, we can't test the brain in, in the way that we can test the rest of the body we can do blood tests we can scan things but you do a scan of the brain or you take fi- spinal fluid and it will, will not give you the answers about neurochemicals which is a microscopic issue so i think that you're right and, and you know my, my, uh, my pastor Chuck Smith Jr who uh, was the editor of my three books um, we, we've talked extensively about this, and he totally agrees that, um, well, you know, he's a, he's a patient, he said, and, and he's, he understands that there's, it's not that simple, He's very brief joke he told, you might have heard it before, in, in front of the church once, he said that this guy who has this, this real bad disease goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know, do this, and he goes, no, nope, I'm going to trust in God, and he goes to another doctor to tell him the same thing, so he goes all around the country, all the best specialists, and he, and they basically tell him the same thing, you know, do this. And he leaves and says, I'm going to, no, I'm going to trust in God. So he dies and goes to heaven, um, standing in front of God. And he said, well, God, why did you take me at such a young age? I, I trusted in you. And, and God looked at him and said, well, I sent you to all the best
1: specialists.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> and then the audience, you know, the, the, the uh, congregation laughed about it. But he made a point. He, he said, look, yeah. uh, this, this is not. This is not a just a, a stress thing, or this is not just a weakness. It, but I think a lot of people feel, that, and men especially, weakness in, in my character. Or if, I, if I were a stronger person, then I shouldn't need to take a pill for that. So, so men in particular have a real issue with treating this because they think, well, okay, it's okay for women, uh, but for right. men, we men are strong. We, we're macho. We don't need. We don't need something like that. So that's a really struggle and with men and with people with addiction because also people with addiction feel that it's, you know, I don't want to take another addictive substance or I don't want to, take, I don't want to substitute this for that. So.
1: Yeah. so before we move on to the exact kinds of medicine or talk about the medicine themselves, a, a phrase that gets brought up a lot is chemical imbalance. And then you have people. Just uh, a couple months ago, I was having a very frustrating conversation with someone about this, where they say, "Nobody, there is no proof that there is any there is any such thing as a chemical imbalance. That there's even any chemicals in the brain. There is no scientific proof of that." I hear that so often. Uh, so what? Yeah, oh boy, that is your first answer. I I will amen that, but. <laughs> how do you explain this to that person who's probably getting information from like 1983
3: uh, sent in there's extensive research i mean to, just to come up with the medications that have come out which there's some very good ones there's some not so good ones there's some very good ones and you know just to come up with medications, they, they had to prove you know, so that you know there's a ton of science that if you want to look up uh, showing how the brain works and and, I mean, simply what's happening with, the, in the, with between the nerve cells, you know, in the brain, the central nervous system, there's over 100 billion neurons or nerve cells in the body, and there's over 100 trillion connections between the cells in the body. And the chemicals uh-huh. are traveling around the body at the rate of about 1,000 times every second. So it's a lot to, that's a lot, those are big numbers, it's a lot to take in, but the point is it's a chemical electrical system. And the the, the problem is when chemicals are not, Passing from cell to cell properly, and they're going the wrong way. So that's we kind of it's kind of a backup of the chemicals. That's what we call imbalance of chemicals. It's not a lack of chemicals. It's just that the, the chemicals do not process through correctly because they keep they leak they leak across the cell and they go the wrong direction. And so all of, you know, we'll talk about medications a bit, but all medications are doing is trying to right that wrong. They're trying to trying to get the chemicals moving in the right direction at the right pace, and that's that's exactly the role of medications. So there's you know as far as people who doubt, I mean. There's people who doubt that the Earth is round, too, <laughs> and there's still people who think the Earth is flat. So, I mean, some people you just can't, even if you throw the science at them, they just, you know, people just are very doubtful of anything like that.
1: So, in lay terms, we've got, what, five, five basic chemicals, right, that are, that are making us feel the things we feel?
3: There's more, there's a lot, there's several, more. way more than five, but I, I focus on... On four that I that you know the I I break it down to the four key chemicals that this, the majority of the medication medications work on that we okay. will, will know at this
1: point. So we've got these chemicals; they're being produced in the brain, and they're being sent down roads. Which I, that, those numbers you gave—billions and trillions—that's insane. What's happening in our brains right now? So they're being sent from their location of production to the parts of the brain that need to receive them to uh, create certain feelings in us. And so a chemical imbalance, or what what people mean, whether they know it or not, is that chemical that's going down a one-way street to get to that part of the brain is now coming backwards and backflowing, and it never reaches that part of the brain. So I am not receiving the thing that God put there to keep me uh, where I'm supposed to be at is that fix fix whatever was wrong with that or add to it.
3: That's pretty pretty accurate there. That's exactly right. I mean, the it, 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 chemicals eventually get there, but not as much as should as they should because they, you know the, the little holes in the cell called receptor sites is where the chemicals travel through. And and you know, like I said, they're they're ideally supposed to be one way holes. And they and you know the problem is when they become two way. Um, that's when things start to go off balance. And so, like I said, all the medications do is simply attach to the receptor site I'm targeting and, and reestablish those those normal connections with the chemicals.
1: So I, I guess this is an important time to talk about the difference between, uh, the medicine that, that you prefer dealing with and some of the past, uh, medicines. So in, in the past where we just had narcotics, that was... That was producing a synthetic yeah, yeah. version of what those chemicals were supposed to be producing in the brain? Is that...
3: Yeah, pretty much.
1: True. So, okay. What What types of medicines were those?
3: Um, like Valium and... You know, we still have them, like tranquilizers. I mean, Valium's been around for decades. Um, there was other ones like pre-Valium. But, you know, typically the treatments in the past before the modern antidepressants came out were symptomatic, just, you know... Uh, narcotics, you know, tranquilizers, we call benzos, like Xanax, now we have, I mean, we have a bunch of them, um, but that's basically what the truth, before we really understood the science of the brain and how how the medica- how depression happens and uh, how addiction happens, um, that's pretty much all we had. I call it the band-aid solution, they're just throwing band-aids at the problem, giving you someone to feel good at the moment, but you know, you get someone a benzo who has an addiction history, then they often get addicted to the benzo, so, it just its kind of substituting one problem for another but it just it doesn't fix the problem it just it just
1: covers it up yeah, yeah. so that is that is one kind of medicine the other kind when you talk about uh, they attach themselves to the uh the neural what do you call them the neural pathway true receptors right those are what they're either called neural inhibitors or ssris are those interchangeable
3: the modern ones that came out i mean there was you know, the modern medication started that we call the SSRIs. They're still the, still the mainstay of the treatment. They shouldn't be, but they but they are, I mean, Prozac was the first one, and um, and there's eight of them on the market now, but I think a lot of doctors are very obsessed with, they think serotonin is it, and you hear about serotonin a lot, and and an SSRI means selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, so it's telling you what it's doing. It's inhibiting the reuptake of serotonin. Well, that's exactly what I just said before. It's it, is preventing the backflow. So it attaches to the serotonin site and, and makes make serotonin move forward, which is I mean the, and they're they're decent drugs but they're not great. And that this is what when I in the nineties when when the first medication came out called Effects, um, the first that we call dual action, serotonin and norepinephrine, that's what really set me on the path when I started to see that when you balance the two chemicals, not just the one, you got a lot better results. You got less side effects, you get and, the body starts feeling better physically. You know, I think that the mainstay of treatment still to this day is SSRIs, first line, um, second line, third line. And, and I disagree, completely disagree with that. And I cover this extensively in my books. But, um, but I think that's where I think doctors are so focused on that. And they, they, there are benefits, but the problems are there is, you know, a flattening effect. People get tired, have yeah. sexual side effects. People gain weight. You know, it's not a. It's not the most complete medication because you're only focusing on the one chemical when there's actually three others that may need attending to. Um, so that's okay, why so. newer medications and combining medications is really where it's at.
1: Okay, so we've we've got uh, again. I gotta I gotta bring this way down to my level. We have one kind of drug that is giving you a uh, create a manufactured version of happiness or peace or (laughs) lethargy but anyways then this other group is simply putting blockers on the receptors so when my chemicals go in if they try to run backwards they get stopped so they have added nothing to my brain if i feel better it's because i'm receiving what was already being produced in my brain is that true
3: exactly and and that's a good point because that's why i tell people it's like well how do you know i go well if if this medication works and then i know it because that's the only thing the medication will do is it, all it does is prevents the backflow of certain chemicals. So if there's no problem with the backflow to begin with, it won't do a thing for you. It won't, won't help you, won't hurt you, it just won't do anything. So if, so it's really kind of a, you have to, as far as the diagnostic test, the diagnostic test is you, know, you have a clue about something and you try it. And the, the, it's, it's very unique in medicine that the actual test is the actual treatment at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because if the, if the test works, and, and the treatment is correct, that means, okay, I was right about these imbalances, because obviously that's why you're feeling better, so significantly better, because of the fact that I'm working with your chemicals. And you again, yeah, the, the important point you make is it's not these aren't manufacturing chemicals that aren't there. This is not, um, you know, somehow conjuring up new things in your brain. This, all it's doing is working with what's already there and it's working with what the brain already is supposed to be doing. You know, just like with diabetes, is something's going wrong. You take medication to fix it. If something goes wrong with the brain. Um, we could talk about reasons for that, but something goes wrong, and all the medications are doing, and they're non addictive, is that they they set the, they set things right. Or that's why people will tell me when treatment is correct is I feel like myself again. I feel back to the old me. How did that happen? You know, you know. So, so that's a very important point.
1: And I I will testify to how crazy you sound right now. Because last last uh, week I mentioned uh, a time in my life when we were moving and adopting our son and the house was being redone and I was just in a getting in a deeper and deeper depression. And though I had already sent uh, probably over a dozen people to Orange County to you, I did not want to have to go be a patient. <laughs> but uh, when I went down and, and listened to you say this, like, well, you'll know if it's working. And you should try this and then if that's if you're like, uh, I remember this was your quote, you'll think, uh, that was good, but it could be better. And I'm sitting there thinking, how am I supposed to know that? Like you're the doctor. And you're like, I don't I won't know, you'll know, you'll feel it. So I remember the third day uh I had taken something for two days and then you'd said, Oh, after two days, if you feel like uh then then do this, and on the third day, I got up at about four thirty in the morning because I needed to get all the stuff ready for church. It was a Sunday. I was driving up north, and I was just like kind of bebopping along in my seat. I was feeling like just this is a good day. I think that thought came to my mind: this is a good day, and this is after like nine months of being in just a dark pit of a hole. And I was startled, and I thought, oh this is exactly what he said. You'll know when you feel like you again. And so there you go. Mark and Nate, as you just heard, uh, I mean, this is stuff yeah. that obviously Dr. Corona has written and taught, thought a lot about and taught. Um, how is all this striking you guys possibly hearing some of it for the first time?
0: Well, it, this is uh, Nate speaking now. I, for me, uh, we're walking down familiar paths because my wife uh, has been struggling with depression and anxiety, mostly in the wake of cancer treatment that began three years ago. Uh, one, uh, uh, What I believe to be a fact that we keep running into, this reality we keep running into, is that uh, brain chemistry or the way our brains react to medications varies widely from person to person. And I, at least that's what we think. Allie seems not to respond to meds in expected ways, is is that true? Is there is there real variation in the way people's brains respond to medication? Is it connected? The, the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Is it connected to genetic makeup, or what's the deal?
3: Well, the the key, the key factors that lead to the, the, the depression, anxiety, are, are number one, genetics. So you have to look at family history. Number one, and usually you can parents, siblings, grandparents. So family history is number one. Number two is hormone changes. So anytime someone's going through hormonal changes, which is when puberty, yeah. this is why it, oh, this happens. Teenagers, postpartum after women have a child, premenstrual. Anyone who's lived with a woman who has PMS knows what I mean. Yeah. Menopause, forties, uh, fifties, it, 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 it tends to get worse. So, and then the third factor, stressors. Uh, you know, stressors of life can affect yeah. things, And you're right. I mean, it's very individual. And, and how do you decide? How do I decide which medication or what to do? It's basically taking a very, very good history, a very complete history of every symptom from start to finish. And I can get a good, really good clue based on history, family history, symptoms, as far as how to approach it. You yeah. know, do we start with, with SSRI? do we start with a... Well, buterin, which works on dopamine, do we, you know, and most people do better with combining things. Two things together is often more likely better than one thing because you're you have to reach the different chemicals, not just one. Because if you reach one and they feel better, but then they feel flat and tired, right? Well, that's you know, then 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 we need to do something else. So, yeah, yeah, it's a very individualized uh, treatment approach, just like a lot of things in medicine are very individualized based on based on. The genetics, the the enzyme makeup, how people break down products in their system. There's a lot of different factors that we we, we can't really tell 100 percent looking at a person. But, yeah. but we I call it the rational ph- pharmacy approach. We kind of make rational choices based on based on um, history.
0: Now, do you also recommend combining this uh, drug therapy, medication therapy, with? uh psychotherapy counseling uh behavioral cognitive therapy that kind of thing
3: absolutely so in all the studies show that both of them work medications work psychotherapy works they it works better, they work better together mm-hmm. and then I also talk to people about exercise, you know yeah. how's your exercise program eating right, stopping bad habits, you know stopping smoking et cetera, et cetera. So you know, there's a lot. It's not, it's not just pills. I mean, I might focus on medications. That's what I do all day for years. But but there's it's, it's, it definitely there's other you know. And I you assess that you assess. You know, does there someone have any problem with their background and their childhood growing up? I mean, is there is there issues people need to work on? You know, which you which as a pastor, obviously you hear a lot about the, that stuff. And yeah, yeah. And, um, and so uh, yeah. So it definitely it's not just medication.
1: Nate, one of the uh, that's an important question to me because there's a, a lot of people that will not get medical attention because they they feel it's more spiritual appropriate to just you know get some pastoral counseling or something. And to me, it's like saying, okay, I've got a broken leg, I I want to go straight into physical therapy before the bone is reset but before the biological physical thing has been dealt with. So I think a lot of people get pretty frustrated when they say I've been praying more, I've been turning to God more, I've been doing all these spiritual things and I don't feel like it's working. And I want to say, okay, let's let's get let's get the biological part on track so that when you start to work on those tools which are really important for you right now, it's actually going to work because you just keep re-injuring the leg and being frustrated. that physical therapy sucks, and it doesn't suck. It just there's a right order to put these things in.
3: Right, but that's why it's important to take this, the brain as seriously as the rest of the body. You know, that's why this is a real this is a real real medical issue, and people don't think of it like that. Again, it's the biggest struggle is stigma. Is is yeah. keep people feeling like that? I want to do it with herbs and supplements and this and that. I don't. I want to do it natural. And I, and I, I explained this, the approach of what I, what I use with psychotropic medications. Is I said I call it the holistic solution. People don't like that, but holistic means helping your body heal itself. But what do you think these are doing? These these are just allowing the body to function the way it ideally should. And things go wrong in the body, and things go wrong with Christians and non Christians. Um, you know and. You know, if someone has you know diabetes, it's like, well, I'm not I'm not praying enough. If I have, well, why why is diabetes and blood pressure, and thyroid so much different than 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 the brain, than than the actual real organ that functions as it functions? And you know, this is also a struggle in the addiction community. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's, oh, it's all about staying sober one day at a time. Okay, I'm going to stay sober. Well, that's great. And there are a lot of people who stay sober. With no medication, they do great. That's that's wonderful. But you got to look into the fact that well, why did the addiction happen in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's probably reasons, and why we use the term self medicating for a reason. Why do people drink have to calm my anxiety, to calm my nerves? Why do you do uh, heroin why do you do meth? Well, just because I I want to escape, and I, I'm depressed, I want to feel better. So you know, if you if you get sober, that's fantastic. But these medications are excellent for people with addiction because it gets to the underlying reason why the addiction happened in the first place. And it's and they're and they're not addictive. It's a very difficult message in, this, in our PC holistic naturopathic culture, and especially in California and different places. It's a struggle to get people to take something that's that's pharmaceutical because they think that's i that I don't want to do that. I want to do something from the health food store from the supplier. So the people will rather get something in the mail mm-hmm. yeah. and from a friend of theirs who's selling something versus actually a doctor who does this. <laughs> <laughs> and so you, it's just,
0: it, you know,
3: and, and uh, well, but this is good for me. Why is it good for you? Well, because, you know, the, the testimonials I read about them. Well, yeah. Yeah. well testimonials are not a science. <laughs> yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, the thing is, that the naturopathic community works on testimonials. There's, there's some science, no question, yeah. but, but it's mostly testimonial-based. And who are these people? They're probably fake testimonials, but 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 you know we got science here. We got something that it took what ten to fifteen years to get through the FDA to get on the market. Um, you know rigorous studies before these things come out, and and you know much less rigorous on the on the, on the natural foods. Um, but people think that that's the solution because I you know I'm, I'm avoiding medication, so I'm, I'm a champ because I. I don't have to take a pill like that weak yeah. person over there does.
0: Well, if you could only come up with a Wellbutrin essential oil, you'd have a winner.
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, so, uh, uh, so, uh, aromatherapy. <laughs> yeah.
2: let, let me ask you this. So, uh, A person has high blood pressure, and they're significantly overweight, and the doctor prescribes a, a blood pressure medication, also prescribes diet and exercise, and that person dives in and does an amazing job they work hard and they lose the weight and uh the blood pressure stabilizes over a length of time they don't need the blood pressure medication anymore they uh, they feel better than they ever have etc they don't have to take the medication anymore but in the case of of these these medications is this something that will last the rest of life to make sure that you're having the same the the brain activity that you need to have
3: well, it's a good question, and there's another point about, like, how long. You know, it's, it's, it's really, and there's, not, and there's no great agreement about this. I mean, a lot of people throw out their you know, 6 to 12 months, stay on it, and then go off of it. So, I mean, most experts believe you should try to uh, get a trial off of it. And, and I had a lot of success with patients who were on it for a short time, and you go off and they're fine, and, and they're, they're, they're good to go. But then there's some people where it's more of a chronic problem. It's really based on history. In other words, if someone has no history and they go through a real traumatic, traumatic event, and they, you know, that person may just need a short course to get through the, the death of someone or get through the grief and, and then go off and later and they're fine. And then you, there's some people who say, well, no, this is something I've had since childhood, since I've had it for the last 30, 40 years, um, since I was a teenager. I never really completely got better. Well, these are people that probably will benefit from longer treatment, you know, but they're. They do help to retrain the brain, and, and there is there are a lot of people who go on them, do great, go off them, and do fine. And, and it, what I'm supposing happens is that the, the body relearns how to get these chemicals passed through correctly, and you know so there's a retraining of the system that happens. So it really depends on the person. But you know again, I think that you, you bring up a point about blood pressure, and then you can say the same thing with diabetes medications. However, there's a lot of people who they lose the weight and they exercise, do all the right thing, and they take the medication, where the blood pressure shoots up again. They think, wait a minute, I thought it was, well, it was partly their weight and your your bad diet, but it's also didn't your father have a heart attack? Didn't your father have high blood pressure? And so, a lot of it's based on factors we can't control. And the same has to do with with these with psychotropic medications that um, you know typically is not within a person's control. A person doesn't want to feel that way. and um, and they, when someone's not feeling themselves, you know, I mean, you know, we have some great answers on how to, how to fix
2: that. You you bring up history and how important so, history is. Uh, I, I'm adopted. I had known absolutely zero about my uh, family of origin history. I have a good sense of my uh, my adoptive family history. I also know other people who are estranged from parents or didn't pay attention to their parents' health along the way, and and also have a d- difficult time answering those questions. What what would you say to those of us who don't know the histories as well as we should, uh, if we were sitting down with you and answering your questionnaires, how how should we approach it?
3: Well, I mean you know, we, we you can only do what we know, but I mean a lot of times a lot of times in families, I mean if someone's adopted has no history of natural parents, there's really not much we could do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could say, Well, what did, what did you hear? I mean, and a lot of times with adoption you hear well, the parents were having heroin addiction, or they're you know. So, but so usually, if someone's a, adopted, there's probably a higher risk already in that person that their genetics may not be the ideal. Um, you know, there's also people who their no, my parents are fine, and, and oh no, no problem. Well, you know, a lot of times parents aren't going to explain their weak, their feelings the of weakness to their kids, and they're not going to want to, you know, in the, the old school mentality, you just don't talk about those things. You know, keep it in the family, keep the secrets. You know about my the sister's suicide and and you know there's a lot of hidden stuff if you really delve into it, especially if you could get the history of addiction, yeah, my dad was you know he was a happy guy yeah, he's an alcoholic, but you know he's but he was functional and he worked and so you can you kind of get clues based on other things, like dysfunctional lives, people who go through a lot of divorces, people who you know just just have you know just moving frequently you know there's a lot of this, some people who have just feel like in like an imbalanced lives and they're not. And so, you know, so basically you can, with family history, you can only really, you know, as much as the person knows,
1: really. Mm-hmm. So, re- remind me here, because you said them, but we, we went over it pretty quickly. There are, what, five factors in this? You've got genetics, your family history, so... If you find that you've been having cycles since you were young, you should maybe look at, okay, this is part of it, um, you got hormone changes, so if you've got a kid at a certain time of life, or you're at a certain time of life, uh, do, do guys, is the midlife crisis deal a hormone-based thing, or is it just, we're bored in like fast cars? Okay, so what what age is that in average?
3: Yeah, I mean, women have more hormonal changes because women have puberty and menopause, but then also in between they have menstrual cycle. You know, men we don't have those. So with men, it's more teen years. Is, is the highest risk years are teen years, and then and then midlife. And you know, with midlife too, we call it midlife crisis or male menopause. Is you know when testosterone testosterone starts to come down and in us and then when women estrogen starts to go down and then that's kind of what sets things off but that's why 40s and 50s is extremely common time this happens or worsens um and then stressors you know significant stressors post traumatic stress um yeah yeah. big big family stressors i mean stressors definitely play a role, but actually stressors are a much minor more minor role than the number one genetics number two hormones
1: wow okay so stressors could be hey watch out uh big life changes, lose a job, somebody passes away, or even for some people, hitting the holidays. Why does depression go up? Well, because that's a huge stressor for some people and brings up a lot of hard stuff. So, okay, so those are three things that people can watch out for, and probably that third one is the kind of person that... Uh, Well, making this generalization, that person might only need to be reset, you know, a shorter time. Uh, what else can what else can people look for that they, instead of saying, I just need to medicate. Go ahead. Oh, I just I wanted to say these are the times when people might think I need to medicate myself because I'm feeling this, but instead if they know, oh wait, I am going through this thing, maybe I need to deal with my brain. So what's the fourth thing?
3: It could be, you know, if it's a, if it's a you know, what's, what's very key is people's coping skills. So, you know, a psychologist will assess like the ability to cope with stress. You know, some people cope very well with stress, some people don't cope so well. So, you know, sometimes just it in those cases, sometimes just a psychologist might be enough, you know, if someone's going through a real traumatic move and, and, you know, or just anything traumatic that happens, loss of job, you said, anything, and even positive stress, like even a big promotion, that's stressful for people because they have to perform and, and so anything anything that's changed, stress stress has to do with change, and anytime there's change, it's stress, whether it's a positive or negative change. And so I, you know you look at people's you know coping skills how how they how they cope with stress in the past and and that's you know that's again where maybe where the psychologist and the pastor comes in to help help with those with those things you know, and that maybe like you know meditation or breathing exercises and and you know things like that um you know exercising is, so there's a lot of there's a lot of things. You know, and, and as far as medications, um, you know, someone's really struggling, and, and, you, and if it's the very first time it's ever happened based on this uh, situational stress, like I said, that may not be a person who would benefit from medications.
1: How do people know if they're going to a good or a bad doctor concerning, uh, hey, this person's giving me stuff to put in my body? Uh, are there any tale, telltale signs that eh, maybe you should find somebody else?
3: Well, if 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 a plan's not working, and I think in psychiatry, uh, psychiatry is very slow with things, and, and there's a there's a notion in, in psychiatry that you know you have to give things a, a month or two to work, and, and it's not true. It's, it's, if something's taking that long, it's, it's there's something better out there for the person. So things should things should work quickly, and so and that's totally different than what you're going to read in sometimes psychiatric textbooks. Oh, you give things. Four to six to eight weeks, and then you change the dose a little bit. And it takes months and months, and years for people to respond. It should not be. It should be days to weeks at the most people respond. So, so number one is if you're not getting quick results, and you're, and if you're not getting good results, and if you go maybe a second or a third time, and you're still not getting your results, that's probably a doctor just doesn't have really a clue where they should go with the medications, and and just keeps going down the same same road. So, and so, you know, someone, and also someone with a good reputation, obviously, um, you know. And, and communication skills. Most doctors, most primary care doctors are very good communicators. Most people like their family doctors because that go they go into the family medicine because, you know, they like, like people. A lot of doctors are, you know, they barely look at you. <laughs> they're, they're typing into their computer the whole time when you're, you're talking to them. Mm-hmm. They don't make much contact. You know, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to talk to someone who's done, not even really, doesn't seem like they're even, even listening and not get one more time a day and that you're in and out in five minutes and, and, with them, with the, and they never explain what they're doing. So you, you know, I think with patients need to be prepared, um, you know, to go in and, and expect, expect to get what they want. And I have a, you know, a chapter in my first book about, you know, what the doctor? A whole chapter dedicated to like what you should expect from your doctor's visit and what questions you should ask, and you should go and prepare with the information that you want to give them. If they don't ask, about give them this give this them this information because they may not ask.
1: So yeah, will we'll talk a little yeah. more at the end to make sure people have it. But you have your three books that can be ordered at DrPaulCoronaMD.com, um, and they are the best lay person-accessible books to understand everything and more that we've talked about. But I think that's a pretty important piece because of I've dealt with a lot of uh, psychiatrists. When I send people to a psychiatrist and say, hey, I think we need to work on it from a medical angle, and then they come back and we're talking about it, you are the only person I know that said what you just did. Every psychiatrist... I have been involved with says here take this you'll know in six to eight weeks it's always six to eight weeks so what do you say to a doctor when you're like uh no I don't really want to wait that long but I'd like to call you back in two weeks and adjust this if it's not working Uh, I mean how would a how would a psychiatrist respond to that probably not well (laughs)
3: no (laughs) you know the the, the paternalistic well I'm the doctor you're the patient you just do what I say and don't ask any questions and don't try to it's it just you know when a doctor says something like that, there's probably not a lot you can do because that doctor's probably doing the, the same thing they've done in for the last thirty forty years never changed much and you know and again i I don't mean to be overcritical of psychiatrists, but i've I dealt a lot with them as far as you know colleagues and I hear things I hear things from patients and and just the, you know again I, I'm, there's some, there's some really good ones out there and there's not and there's some that aren't so good in my opinion, but um like like any profession you know that's, that's not just doctors. So I think it's just, if a person, it's just like a psychologist. If a person does not connect with a psychologist and the like, you know, it's just, you don't feel a connection there. It doesn't feel like the psychologist cares, you know, or, you know, go see, a, go see a different person. Don't, don't be going to someone who you're uncomfortable with, or you're not getting anything out of. And so but it's just like with psychologists, uh, if you're getting something out of it, um, great. If you're feeling like, you know, you're stuck and you're just not really getting much out of it and the doctor's just not listening to your concerns and not doing much to, to, to you know, then it's time to move on.
1: Mm. Okay. Really good and, and should people yeah, give their MDs a shot, their general practitioner a shot?
3: Yeah, or... if they know. I mean, again, I think you, that's a good start um, because something is sometimes it's very simple. Sometimes, sometimes an SSRI or just one thing alone, boom, gets people out of it, and they do fine. And yeah, that's probably a good first first place to go, and then and then you know with the, the primary care doctor, then sometimes we'll know by reputation, know know the doctor in the area, and maybe hopefully refer you to someone that they've had a good experience with in the past. But yeah, I think the primary care doctor is usually a good place to start, um, unless unless you get a, someone gets a referral from someone who they just you know people are raving about or whatever. Well, then go there, but you know, but. But the vast majority of it, in my view, primary care doctors should be able to deal with, and that's kind of my target. One of my target audiences of my books is not just patients and lay people, but also primary care doctors, and hopefully, trying
2: to reach, mm-hmm. trying to train the primary care doctors to do a better job at this. I know that we can't put a price tag on uh, our mental health, and and the the healthier, healthier we are, the, the more alive we are, the better we're going to be as a husband, as a. Uh, as a father as an employee as a church member as a friend uh but i also know that there's kind of this complex this industrial complex behind all of this and that so many of the medications advertised on television are are not covered by insurance or uh all of those things how would you help somebody navigate the financial side of of this
3: well, it's you a good, very good point. And uh but you know a lot of the newer things that are out, I mean there's some very good new medications and, and by the way, don't go by commercial because then people listen, well, did you hear what the commercial said? Well, you know what? <laughs> if they did a commercial for a natural supplement, they'd have to say the same things too. I mean, it's it's just it's basically getting medical advice from the attorney when you hear this litany of of mm-hmm. things that can go wrong if you take this medication. As far as the cost um you know, most insurances, well, if someone doesn't have insurance, it makes it more difficult for sure. But, you know, normally I'm pr- I'm pretty good at getting things approved. Um, you know, so a lot of times the doctor has to call the insurance company to get permission, and we call it a prior authorization. So normally, I, yeah, I definitely have something, the financial part I have to deal with every day is I have to make sure that these things are affordable. Is it an affordable copay? If, if I can't get something on insurance despite my best effort, then, you know, then I'm maybe, you know, there's some people will pay it, and some people I would say, well, let me try. It. Going something generic, cheaper that hopefully does about the same thing, and so there's you know we have choices, and and I have to individualize that obviously based on what the patient, the patient can afford, et cetera. But some of the name brand, newer, sexier medications, or definitely have a high price tag. Um, but like I said, it, it has to do, really has to do with how aggressive the doctor is with with the approval process, and some doctors just don't want to take the time to do that. They don't like to do it. They don't like to sit on a hold with an insurance company, which. You know, but I, I do that every day because I I'm basically fighting for my patients. You know, some, something's working, and usually I, we know that because the samples I give. Um, you know, normally I fight to try to get that approved.
1: That's great, and it's it's okay to ask questions as well because places like Rite Aid. Uh, do have programs where they say, oh, "Okay, you don't have insurance, or you have this kind of insurance." we Will, we'll, you know, they'll they'll cut prices big time. But you have to have those conversations. Uh, there's ways to do that at Walmart through uh, coupons you can get online. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to make you respond to the uh, Canadian option because maybe this is not. Uh, but I'll I'll put it out there. Yeah, uh, I, was, uh, I was going to talk sometimes. About this, I'm glad you did. <laughs> Um yeah, so, yeah, I was gonna I was gonna mention
3: Canadians. Canadian. Can, 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 um, you know, I there's a lot of the most almost pretty much most of the companies that have these medications have we call like patients a, patient assistance programs. If you go online to their website, and if you you make less than a certain amount per year and you show your tax returns and that you can get free medication for a year. Um c- Canada's a very good option for, you know, because they can basically get generic medications that we can't get in the US. So they can skirt the generic uh patent laws basically by getting medication from China and India and other places and get a lot cheaper. So I've had a lot of patients that go through Canada to get things. If it's especially if it's a if it's a high ticket item that's you know like five, six hundred dollars a month item that you can yeah. get from Canada for like a hundred dollars
0: a month. Yeah. yeah. Um
3: so we've, we've done, done that.
0: that. Yeah. Uh yeah, we just had our first experience with that a six hundred dollar uh uh, medication we got for a hundred dollars through a Canadian pharmacy, right. yeah. Right.
1: Wow! So, I would high, highly recommend uh, that you all go to drpaulcoronamd.com and grab the books. You get three books, uh, for 30 bucks, right?
3: Yeah. it's sure. your 11, whole trilogy, sure. 11, 1100 pages total. Uh, it took me 12 years to put them together from um, 2002 to 2014. and and it's, it, for, it's, it's triple-dub, it's Dr. Paul, it's D-R, so it's D-R for doctor, uh, it's all one word, D-R, Paul, Corona, C-O-R-O-N-A dot com. And then I have not only books, but I have a lot of things, I have I have regular blogs that I put on there, I, um, a lot, of, there's a lot of different things on the website, um, you know, uh, testimonials, blogs, um, and there's a lot more about my background and training and pretty much everything, everything is, is, is on there.
1: Excellent. So check that out. Get informed. And uh, are people able to shoot you emails from there if they have a question or a thought? All right. So that is going to be your connection point. If you have questions or thoughts about these things, I am sure there is something in this conversation that uh, has you scratching your head and saying, I don't know if I believe those guys. Fantastic find out and uh yeah get get educated on this uh, because you you are able to be as educated possibly as some of the people who are giving you advice on this professionally so it's your body got to be in the know on it dr corona thank you so much for hanging out with us and explaining these complex things we didn't even have to pay tuition for this masters class and so we are thankful
3: I love well. I, I just, as you can tell, I love talking about the subject. It's a fantastic and just fast, it's a fascinating subject. So uh, anytime, anytime you'd like to have me on, I'd be fa- be happy to.
0: Thanks so much, Doctor. All right, Cohen. this was will... excellent.
3: Yeah. Hold... Okay. God bless y'all. All right.
0: All right. What an excellent conversation
2: with Doctor Paul Corona. Uh, thanks for uh, setting that up, Aaron. And I know from my experience, I was a member of a church that uh, gave all sorts of guilt trips uh, about any type of uh, going to a psychologist mm-hmm. or let alone a psychiatrist, especially don't take medicine. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, uh, they, he was I, the pastor was asked the question one time. Well, you know, you say that the Bible is good for, you know, faith and practice and is is sufficient, fully sufficient for faith and practice, but you know, what about brain surgery? Mm-hmm. What about heart surgery? What about, you know, traveling to the moon? What about, you know, and I remember he was so confident in his answer. Mm-hmm. And everything that he rattled off for the next 5 minutes, but I remember thinking he didn't answer the question. Yeah. He he is playing off of his his uh his book. So, uh, anyway, I'm glad to hear this, and I hope that there are more uh, spread around the country like Dr. Corona who can who can help.
0: Yeah, thanks for making that connection, Aaron. It was a it was a very uh, stimulating and enlightening conversation. Got very it got technical there at points, but I think uh, for our readers, especially those, and it's amazing to me how many of us are connected either directly or indirectly to somebody battling anxiety or depression. Uh, to those who uh, have a, a personal encounter with this uh, this form of disease, it's going to be a very helpful conversation, a great addition to the Pirate Monk Archive.
1: Yeah, and it it is so helpful uh, for you if you have a family member that you know is struggling and is taking medicine, for you to be informed and possibly even bring up Some topics that they don't know about or to get them this book, because it really is uh, the the first book I can only speak to. The other two hadn't been written when I first got to know Dr. Corona, but I'm excited to see them. But the first one really lays out in terms that anyone can understand, uh, here's what we're dealing with, uh, here's the science behind it, and it'll just help you love other people better to have this information. And it's it's out there, man. We deal with it every day. So uh, become a better lover of people going through hard stuff. And uh, there it is. I don't usually pitch people's books quite that hard, do I? I No, no, I apologize to all the other authors who have ever been on the show that I didn't. (laughs) I didn't pimp their book this hard.
0: (laughs) I say I think that does it for this episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Been a good conversation. And we've got more coming down the road. Uh, we've got some good prospective guests and folks who want to be on. We just got to make the schedules work. We look forward to bringing in many more enlightening conversations in the months and years ahead. So until the next episode, I'm Nate. I'm Mark. I'm Aaron, and we're your pals here on the Pirate Monk
1: Podcast. Jr. Uh-huh. Oh, Preaching recovery. Hey yo, hey yo.